Hello, my name is Jerry Durham, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, What's Best for the Patient is Best for the Business. This podcast was put together for you, the healthcare practice owner wants to achieve success in your healthcare practice and turn this practice, this clinic into a business. So if you want growth and scalability that drives financial performance, all three of those don't always come together. But if you want that, then you've come to the right place. I'm here to help you be most successful in your healthcare practice and turn it into a business. Cheers. Thanks for coming. All right, Jerry Durham here, and welcome back. And today I'm really excited to uh, have Anthony Maritato on the show with me today. How are you doing, Anthony? Jerry, it's so good to talk to you again. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing great. I mean, it's a beautiful good. sunny day. We're here in Ohio. I think we just cracked like into the mid 50s. So I ran this morning, treated some patients this morning, and now I get to talk to you. Awesome, dude. Um, you know, we we've actually we probably crossed paths about eight years ago. Has it been that long? You so. and Paul, yeah. you and Paul came to my clinic. You surprised me. You called ahead, talked to my admin. I had no idea. Yeah. You guys walked in the door. It was like, you know, the best experience. We had a great <laughs> time. Great. And then we did a pub night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, all that in your, great. all in your neighborhood. Yep. Yep. That I'm, I'm going to say somewhere between six to eight years ago. Yeah. I think you're right. So, you know, I'm going to say in PT years, that's an awful long time um, <laughs> with the way the world goes in healthcare these days, MPT. And you and I have then talked briefly because I still don't fully understand. And the, re the, the reason I wanted you to chat with you today was learn more about your journey to the model you have going today how that started how's that and, and i'm just going to let you explain it and let everybody figure it out as you share the story and then i'll probably ask some follow-up questions but i'd really like to sh you to share about your current model and how you got here and the way and the way you got here if you don't mind yeah no i'm happy to so you know first a little context for everybody like i did not start as a physical therapist. I did not travel the same road that so many have. Now I am married to a physical therapist who went down the traditional path. She was a straight A student in high school. She went in to college knowing that she was going to be a physical therapist. She played basketball at Wheeling Jesuit. This is my wife I'm talking about. And she has the classic quintessential PT brain. Now I love her to death. She's an amazing therapist. Um, but I went the most crazy circuitous route that, you know, you can imagine. I was that kid in the neighborhood that was always trying to make a buck. I remember when I was seven years old, I would mow lawns and, and do all these things. And in my teens, I was always selling stuff and doing things. So I just love business. Like I was a business person at heart. I started as a business person. Um, graduated high school in 1993, if you can imagine that, took a couple years off. I, I owned and operated a landscaping plant business. I had no idea how to plant plants or, or raise them, but my family owned some commercial real estate. We were leasing it to a guy who had a nursery. Um, he wanted to get out of the business. So I stepped in because I didn't want to go to school. I was done. Like after 12th grade, I was sick of traditional school. So took over a plant store, ran several businesses between then and going to get my bachelor's degree in 19, 
think I started in 97. I uh, went to Penn State, got a degree in kinesiology. I was doing full-time martial arts at the time. And I knew the people that were the best martial artists had degrees in exercise science. So that's what I did. Uh, graduated in 2000, got introduced to the world of physical therapy. I did an internship at a YMCA that had a hospital-owned outpatient physical therapy clinic inside the building. Started volunteering, got hired. And then I think it was 2003, I decided, you know what? I want to become a physical therapist. I had a personal training studio from 2000 forward. I had physical therapists who were working for me because I wasn't a physical therapist, but I wanted to be in the world of physical therapy. And uh, I, I was not allowed to own a Medicare contracted outpatient private practice. So since I couldn't own it, I put one together let the physical therapist that worked for me own it. And they rented space for me inside my personal training studio. Like it's the craziest way to get here, but I want to give people context to where I came from. We were all cash paid. We were completely out of network. We were 50-50 personal training and physical therapy. That physical therapist now is my wife, of course. Um, but we went from 800 square feet, little personal training studio, 2001, through, you know, today, we grew to five clinic locations. My wife talked to me to going back to school. I think I went in 2003, got my master's in physical therapy, graduated the end of 2005. We, we opened three clinics at that point, decided we were going to get married, decided we were going to move to Ohio, start a family. We opened two clinics here in Ohio. So at our largest, we had five clinics operating simultaneously. We had PTs and OTs on staff for the clinicians, and we had our admin team, um, which were comprised of, you know, billing, collections, marketing, scheduling, all that stuff. And probably around 2000, well, 2008, we had our first son. Right around 2010, we were like, okay, we're not going to grow this. We're not going to um, sell to private equity. This is not going the direction we wanted. And that's about the time we started to consolidate because we said our priorities, we knew we were good clinicians. We knew we could deliver a great patient care experience, but we, we weren't going to grow to 10 million and get acquired. So we said, let's go the other way. Let's cut everything. We consolidated down to two clinics from five we cut our team from 20 plus individuals to less than five. And I would say we're probably just as profitable today as we were at our largest, but we enjoy life more. You know, I'm here talking to you at 1.40 in the afternoon. I'm going to get my kids from school when they're done. Like we made lifestyle choices that really were the focus on why we were growing or, or why we had a business in the first place. The business was there to fund our life. Our life wasn't here to grow the business. So I covered a lot of stuff, <laughs> but big picture, we went cash, then we went all in network. And now we do a combination of some cash pay, some in network, some completely unrelated to healthcare revenue sources. I'm happy to share anything with you guys. No, I think that's a great context. And I, I think it's good for people to hear. I mean, things have shifted. I mean, you've been out longer than me or shorter than me. 
I think things have shifted a lot in our lifetimes. The conversations, again, just like I said, six to eight years ago, seemed like such a long time and everything. So I think it's good for everybody to have the context and the context of, I, I love how you said it. Look, we can consolidate it down. And it, I, I think the big take home, I hope everybody heard is basically the profit was the same. You said, correct? Yeah. yeah. So for all that additional work, what was the ROI, right? right. However you want. And, and let's face it, on that ROI had to be factored in all the additional work, all the additional travel, all the additional headaches. So the ROI was actually, I would say was less on that. So appreciate you sharing that. So tell me, let's just talk about the two, I, I think. And so how long has it been two? We, we've had two clinics here in Ohio, probably since we sold our final piece of Florida, I think it was 2017 or 2018. Okay. Cool. Uh, so since then, it's just been the two clinics here. And then of course, when, you know, the pandemic hit, we went from a full clinical staff down to a skeleton staff and I never regrew it because again, we, we look at the landscape, we look at what's going on in healthcare. I, I am one of those entrepreneurs, I guess you would say that says, where's the opportunity? And does this opportunity move me toward my goal? Yeah, you know, I, I see a lot of people trying to fight windmills that make no sense to me when I'm like, look, I love treating therapists or I love being a treating therapist. How do I protect that passion? But at the same time, how do I keep, you know, food on the, on the table here at home? How do I keep my lifestyle where it is without the stress of having to worry about changes in the economy without worrying about inflation. And so I'm more than happy to modify my business model based on what the environment presents to me and what opportunities are available. And I think what makes a great therapist like PTOTSLP, what makes us so great is that we can customize a plan to achieve a goal based on what's presented to us, what the patient has available, what's not available. It's the same in business. I don't care if, if the insurance is paying me or the patient is paying me or YouTube is paying me. I know what I need to do. I know what I want to do. How do I put together a plan that's going to get me from point A to point where I want to be? You know, that's interesting that whole formal plan thing. I, th I think <clears throat> I talked to a group of students, third years, two weeks ago, I talked to another group about three months ago. And it's interesting to hear the conversation, see the questions or hear the questions, sorry, have the conversation around that and then see what's being shared by people that have been out one year, two year, three years. And I know we all hang out in the places, right? And we don't see all the messages. But it, it, it's interesting because as I've been reflecting more and more about, right, what happens between the day they get out and the day they get disgruntled, whenever that is. And, you know, it's interesting recently because I was thinking of something you just said, which is, I believe our superpower coming out of school is the ability to put a plan together, right? A plan of care. I really do. And I think that is undervalued in general, even when I came out of school, let alone today. And, the, and that's actually the superpower, right? And we get caught up in units and visits and we get pushed away. And I think some people forget. I think some people never realize that the superpower is actually the plan. Right. So I'm, I'm so glad you said that because then you're talking about 
I, I have really taken the business side of things and what I've learned <laughs> way after having my business that I didn't call a business until there was a certain tipping point. I'll own that, you know, and, and relate it all back. And I always going, shit, we learned, I learned this in PT school. If I only, only would have realized, I mean, there's so much we do in business that equates to scheduling a patient evaluating a patient, going through a subjective, doing some tests, right? Putting down a plan and then monitoring the plan, right? Retest, yeah. test, retest. Yeah. So I'm really glad you said that. Um, I just wanted to put that out there that I really hope people listening, no matter how long you've been in this is really the superpower on either side of this is the ability to plan. And I think just recently with some reading I've been doing, that ability to plan means an ability to reflect also. Right. Well, right. what has happened? Right. What have I learned? What did I miss um, in the past? And then how do I back to you? How do I adapt? Maybe how do I pivot a bit? Not a lot, not 180, not 360 to accommodate what I need to accommodate. So for you, right, you and your family and everything, which I would hope everybody's thinking about. But also if we're talking about patients, what do I need to do today because things have changed or things haven't changed. So with that all said, tell me where, so let's go post COVID then, or maybe we have to go back a little bit before, but I, I want to talk, you and I've talked a little bit about your model on the Medicare side and how you approach that conversation, how you approach the mindset of we treat Medicare people, because that's, what's funny. If we say we treat Medicare, everybody starts to build in their own little context. So I want you to share a little bit of that model. We'll probably have some questions and some conversations around that. Yeah, I, I, what I love about you, you know, I've learned so much from you over the years and you and I, our engagements on social, like you always, I remember used to talk about asking better questions to get better answers. There are so many things that you always shared. And one of the, the things that you've said forever is don't get hung up on the pair. Like whether it's the insurance, whether it's the patient, whether it's a combination of the two. And when I look at us, I look at the profession, I look at the, the transition from maybe a bachelor's to a master's to a DPT, people get frustrated and I understand their frustration, but the reality is if we want to operate at the highest level of our education, of our profession, we really have to acknowledge first, am I just looking to be an overpaid technician? I think a lot of us, we love geeking out on, you know, the biomechanics and all the other things. And that's great. But we can really teach that to a technician and the technician can do it appropriately. It's our clinical judgment. It's our decision making. You know, we there's 50 different kinds of exercises we could choose to achieve a certain outcome. It's why are we choosing this particular exercise or this particular intervention? And so when we talk about Medicare, because I do teach my course on Medicare or Medicare billing, what I try to emphasize is Medicare is just an element. It's just a component. It's, it's one factor in the big scheme of things. So if a patient comes to me with a desired outcome, I know that, okay, this person has paid into the Medicare system. They have benefits that are coming back to them that can be utilized like any other tool. I can also look outside the Medicare system. There are services that may be not covered by Medicare that this individual might benefit from or just want. 
just enjoy, just might make them feel good. You know, every meal doesn't have to be a healthy meal. I'm going to have a piece of cake. I'm going to have a bowl of ice cream, but it's an element within my big picture of, I want to enjoy life, right? I want to have a successful business. So when I look at Medicare, I say, how do I understand what Medicare actually covers? And, and this question of what's a covered service, what's not a covered service, it really is to our advantage that Medicare doesn't put it in black and white to say, this is covered and this is not, because they give us as professionals the respect and the freedom to say, look, you guys can make this decision. You can make this determination. Nobody is better than you, the therapist, at determining what should be medically necessary and reasonable and what should fit within our guidelines. But like anything, if you take it too far, if you go way out into left field, we're going to come back and we're going to be like, no, that is way too far. That is not a covered benefit. The first 30% of that is covered. The rest of it is not, you know. So what I try to do within my practice today is I look at the landscape. I look at the patients that I have in my clinic. And really at any given time, I can look at five or six individuals that are in my clinic and I can make decisions right then and there to say, these are going to be services delivered to these individuals that are going to be reimbursed by Medicare. These are going to be services that these benefit that these individuals need that aren't covered by Medicare, but they're covered maybe by an access membership. And that's what we call like what you would say a gym membership, a wellness membership, maybe these other that you supply, you put together. So your access membership is what you have created. Correct. correct. Just it is it is a solution that I created. Because I, as the therapist said, this patient, we'll call him John Doe, this patient doesn't need direct one-on-one -on -one billable services to Medicare every single day they come to my clinic, but they would benefit from more structured exercise than they would be doing if they didn't have access to my clinic. So in my practice, we sell what we call $100 a month access membership. $100 a month, you can come in as much as you want, but most patients come in two or three times a week. They're still scheduled. It's not direct one-on-one -on -one care, but they're coming in to use the facility, to join the community, to receive the motivation and the enjoyment of us talking about you know, sporting events and games and jokes and all that stuff, to just be part of the family. And I believe they get just as much benefit from those engagements. We know covid shut down socialization. We know that patients are, you know, feeling lonely and feeling disconnected. So for a hundred bucks a month, they can come in and they could be part of the family, but it doesn't take away from the other individuals that maybe do need the one-on-one -on -one therapy session that day. And what this solution does, I was sitting there as the owner. I said, what's the number one thing that kills any third-party payer, you know, model it's when patients cancel or no-show or they don't come back or they discontinue their plan of care. You're a huge one that talks about completing and the importance of completing a plan of care. So I was like, how do I come up with a solution to the problem of I blocked an hour of time, now a patient canceled, no-showed, didn't reschedule, that just blew my profitability for the week. What's a solution for that? Yeah, I could, I could charge them. I could do a cancellation fee, but then what happens with that? Then they feel guilty. They feel bad. They don't even want to come back. And now I just force them to discontinue their plan of care. 
Instead, what if I created these alternative measures that allow other individuals to begin the clinic? So if patient A cancels, patient B is already there. They were going to do an independent program today, but I've got an opening. So I'm going to make them deliver a covered service for that individual. Now I just recovered the, the cost that would have been lost from the person who was on the schedule. I also gave that person an out to say, look, I know stuff happens. I know you can't be here every day. It's okay that you missed yesterday. It's okay that you're going to miss again. I've built a system that allows for the redundancy so that if you miss a day, if you miss three days, it's okay. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to hurt my profitability. I'm still going to be able to deliver the same kind of patient care that I've always wanted to deliver. And I'm going to do it in a compliant manner. So we can bring in cash services. We can bring in third-party payer services. We can bring in wellness services. We can bring it all together. And I, the therapist, am using the deepest level of knowledge that I've accumulated to look at the situation, put a plan together, solve my problems, and solve their problems. <laughs> Did I go too far into left field? Did that all make sense? Yeah, we probably need to double back, but it all makes sense. But I know there's some terms in there that people are probably having difficulty with. So let me ask some clarifying questions and you'll probably take us down the right path. Yeah. So you have this access. So you see people for the first visit, let's call it the evaluation. Sure. Right. The, the first visit, the evaluation during that time, during the discussion of the plan of care, you tell them about the skilled services they're going to receive. And then you tell them also about the access pass, correct? Correct. Cool. Um, good. Thank you. Now follow up real quick. You're going to schedule them for skilled visits also. Are you just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just take me past that one a little bit. So at the plan of care, you'll schedule them for, yeah. So, so basically at the initial evaluation, we established the plan of care together. Cool. It's like me and my patient, I need to, I need your feedback, right? You, the right. patient, I need to know like, where are you, where are you in this journey? And I think motivational interviewing is a huge component here. Like, because we do operate in a third party payer system, the reality is I have plenty, plenty of referrals that have no interest in doing physical therapy. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're coming because their doctor told them they have to come. Yeah. They're coming because oh, they need yeah. authorization for more imaging. They're coming to justify therapy. I would say there's a percentage, maybe five, maybe 10. I don't have the stats that literally are coming. So therapy fails so that they can go on to the next step. Now, I, the therapist have a decision. I could say, no, I don't want to be in that world. But then, of course, I cut off any opportunity for them to benefit. So I'm like, look, I acknowledge the reality. I acknowledge that this person sitting in front of me is dealing with life. They're dealing with financial challenges. They're dealing with family. They're dealing with far more than the orthopedic issues that they came to see me for. And so I'm going to make resources available to them that they're entitled to. And that, that's a component. So when I'm developing a plan of care, I have a very candid discussion. I say, look, what are you interested in doing? What are you capable of doing? In a real world, you should be in here five days a week. Like there isn't a human being that shouldn't be doing something five days a week, seven days a week, right? But that's not practical. So I'm like, can we do two? Can we do three? Like, do you want to come? How about we start with one? If you like it, we can go to three. 
And, and so I'm very flexible on, on my plans of care. And then I also have the conversation to say, obviously you understand insurance doesn't pay for everything. There are elements here that are not covered by your insurance plan that I do think you would benefit from. We do have a $100 a month access program so that once you've learned how to use a recumbent bike, for example, I do a lot of post-op total knee replacement. Right. So Medicare is clearly stated in their guidelines. Once you've educated the patient on a knee, on how to use a um, recumbent bike, once you've done the, the assessment and kind of the education, it's no longer a covered service under the Medicare policy. So two, three sessions, you're done getting Medicare coverage but I still want my patient to be able to ride the bike. So I explained for hundred dollars a month, you can come in as much as you want. You can come in early. You can come in, you can stay late. We have our scheduled time for the, the services covered by your insurance plan, but then these are services not covered by your insurance plan. We don't do dry needling, but if I did, that would be a service on this. We can call it a menu to say, I believe this would be beneficial for you. This is the price. You know, you're not required to do it. I just think it would be in your best interest. And just like a, a clinic might sell a TheraBand, you might sell manual therapy, right? I believe while I do manual therapy, I'm not a manual therapist. I believe there's huge advantages to manual therapy. But as you dig into the Medicare guidelines, Medicare clearly says that there's a limit to how much manual therapy is covered. And I would say that there are more patients who would be happy to pay you $50 a session for the manual therapy that's no longer covered because they believe that's where they get the most benefit. So, so having this structure in your business model where you could say, this is what I believe you need. I am the therapist. I've assessed you. This is my finding. These are my recommendations. These components are paid for by your insurance company. These components are not. If you would like these other components, here's the pricing for them. And then the patient makes the decision. You know, I've never sold anyone. I've never encouraged ever anyone. I've never tried to make somebody buy something that I didn't genuinely believe they were getting more value than the price. And because of that, I feel good at the end of the day. I never feel like I've, I've forced somebody to do something beyond their means. So much in there. That's good. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. So here we are. I'll double back to the plan. And really, the, these are the things for anybody listening, no matter where you are in your career, these are the things we should be thinking about during a plan, right? Again, and this is not going, I'm going to schedule you per your coverage, right? So let's double back. This is all the things I talk about. We don't, you know, we don't schedule people per their insurance. We tell them what needs to be done. And then we give them options on how to take care of it. Right. And um, obviously there is some time needed on the front end to invest on managing this and how are you going to set it up? Obviously there needs to be some training. If you have a team of people doing this yet, yeah, once it gets going again, like you said, I mean, let's face it, man, how many people, right. Who show up, right. Want to be there eight, or, or shall we say, looking forward to being there, right? Are there for a reason and know exactly, by the way, God forbid, everybody knows exactly when they're there, what the, I'm going to say what the cost is, what their cost is. Right. 
right? That can't be a bad thing. I'm just checking all the boxes here as I go along. I mean, that can't be a bad thing. And then, um, so uh, now you, that just made me think of something else. So when you're done with the, so you tell them roughly, hey, look, we'll get you on. Let me just clarify this. You know, so during the plan, it's like, okay, great. We're going to put you on for five visits covered. And then the access pass will give you the rest. Is that what, is that how you would tell them that? It depends. It, it's so person and plan and, yeah. and situation dependent. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah. So I had a patient in my clinic this morning. I saw her the first time for an initial evaluation. She had a, had a total knee replacement, had some complication, was really struggling with her range of motion. Mm -hmm. So she had already received, I think, seven or, or 12 treatments with the physical therapy group that was part of the surgeon's uh, practice who did the surgery. Okay. She, she found me on YouTube. She lives yeah. about 45 minutes away. She was like, I want to go see this guy. So she comes in. I do my evaluation. She was already several months post-op and really limited. I'm going to say like right. 72 degrees of flexion. Yeah. And so we sat there and we said, okay, based on, you know, your situation, yes, I genuinely think you would benefit from some manual therapy services, but I don't think that manual therapy is the only way for you to regain the range of motion that you want. Um, the, this is what we're going to do during each of the sessions that you're here with me. In this situation, we know that based on your insurance coverage, in this case, she had seven visits left. So I said, this is what I would recommend. We'll do this sequence of events, these interventions during these seven visits. For an extra $100, which is our access membership, you can come an unlimited number of times. Now, I know that you're you know, 45 minutes away. If you're willing to drive, I'm willing to see you. When you come for the days that are not covered by your insurance plan, you're not going to be working with me, the therapist, or any of my clinical team, but you're going to be in the facility. We have a 2,000 square foot space. There's no walls. There's no barriers. We see everybody. It's a big family event. I and I said, if you're doing something crazy, we're going to tell you you're doing that wrong. We'll give you some general guidance. But the value in that is you're going to be here with us. You know, We're going to keep you motivated. Insurance doesn't pay for me to motivate you. We're going to keep it fun. We're going to keep you laughing. We're going to have a good time while insurance you're definitely doing. doesn't pay for fun and laughter. None of that doesn't pay for any of that. So all of that is uncovered. And the fact that she does not need me, she's not buying my time means that for a hundred bucks a month, that's plenty for my business model to let her come in and use the equipment, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so what happened in that situation was this is an individual that had seven visits left right. within her insurance policy right. for the calendar year. I was able to open a door for her yep. that let her continue to come. And she's still coming to this day. In fact, this morning I saw her for the second of my sessions with her. But the idea is that it gave me the opportunity to expand the, the number of people, the resources that I could provide without costing me any money. You know, because we already paid overhead, we already paid for the space, right. everything is there. Now, if she said, no, I want you, I want Tony Maritato to be my therapist and I want you to work on my knee every time, no problem. My fee is $300 a session. It could be 15 minutes, it could be 60 minutes, it could be 90 minutes, it's going to be whatever I believe that session needs to be. But I can't justify doing it for less than that, you know, but 
so I give people the choice. I mean, I drove four wheels and a motor to the clinic this morning. My four wheels and a motor cost like $20,000. Other people will spend $100,000 on four, four wheels and a motor. They have the choice, right? If you want me to be the person that has to do it, you have to pay a reasonable price for me to sacrifice the other things that I would be doing. And so that, that's kind of the value exchange there. But insurance never closes the door. Insurance never limits our ability to do anything. We can always do whatever we want to do as clinicians, and we can always make those recommendations. I think it's our responsibility, our opportunity to create ways to deliver what we want to deliver, what we think is best within what our audience is capable of either buying or accessing or, or, you know, receiving. Let me just clarify one thing I heard. Yeah. Cause people get so uptight. Cause I love the, I love how you finish that. Right. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but we limit ourselves yeah. by stating we can only do a, B and C. I mean, that's my takeaway from that based on insurance and let's face it. It's, and it's really sad that people put themselves in the position where they're told to do that, they never investigate any further. And then they burn out. And I'm using that term broadly right now, sure. um, purposefully, but then they burn out and they talk about how messed up it all is. And I'm like, but you had other options. You had choices. And yeah, I'm a big choice guy. Even, you know, with my first phone call training and getting to the end of a plan of care, it's always, so what do you want to do, Anthony? Right. I tell everybody, right. check these five boxes. And after you check the five boxes, you go, so Anthony, what would you like to do? But if you, if you throw that out there before you check the five boxes, I'm like, you sold them short and he really doesn't know what his choices are. So same thing on the, if, if that Medicare patient, I hate to get in the fucking weeds on this, but we got to just a little bit. Yeah. yeah just to clear it up a little bit. If that Medicare patient comes in, with seven visits left and you present that plan of care and she says she wants to work with you exclusively and you say it's going to be $300 just in your, and I know you can do this. Just tell me how you can do that. Yeah. So, so I, I love that question. That's a really important one because. Yeah. I just again, want to make sure I, because I really want people to hear this and get the take home. And you know, if we don't address this, all they're going to fucking right. hear is he's charging Medicare patients cash and that's all they're going to take home from this. Right. So that, I think, the root of understanding the response to that question is understanding what Medicare actually pays for. And, and none of us want to do this. Like, I understand, I get it, but we have to dig into those guidelines. We have to look at the published examples that Medicare has that we can reference to say, okay, this is not covered under the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual. So I'll give you a classic example. Now, I'm not a lymphedema specialist. I don't do manual lymphatic drainage, but there's a great passage in one of the LCDs published by Medicare that I think helps us better understand this. So Medicare says under manual therapy, specifically here in Ohio, our, our MAC is CGS, but they say under manual lymphatic drainage, what is not a covered service for that? And one of the four bulleted points is once the therapist has determined that the patient cannot deliver the manual lymphatic drainage themselves and does not have either the cognitive ability or anyone around to do it for them, it is no longer a covered service. So while manual therapy in that respect may be covered initially, again, 
Medicare tells us black and white, once you determine as a therapist, the patient can't do it to themselves and they don't have anyone around to do it for them, it is no longer a covered service. So when I have an individual like this patient today, and she wants to work with me and, and let's pretend she has Medicare. And just to clarify, because I know the nitpickers are gonna say there's no limit on Medicare. You're right, technically there's no limit. Um, but anyway, if she says, no, Tony, I wanna work with you. Okay, well, I've already established that, look, these are the things that you need to do to gain functional range of motion. Do you understand how to do these things? And yeah. She drove herself 40 minutes. She dressed herself. She bathed herself. She did everything that needs to be done. And she's already demonstrated to me after the first session that she's fully aware and fully understands what needs to be done. She wants to work with me because she enjoys working with me. That is not a covered benefit under the Medicare policy. So while I could bill a portion of that $300 to Medicare, rightfully so, there are other portions that are not billable under the Medicare coverage. And so that is where I say, my cost is $300. This portion, maybe we're gonna do therapeutic activity because we're gonna work on a new functional skill that's been identified as deficient for you. Okay, this 10, 15 minutes of time, this is billed to Medicare because this is something new. You've never done this. I've never educated you on this. But then the other 40 minutes of the session or 45 minutes, that's not a covered service. We're reviewing and doing stuff that you already understand and have full cognitive ability to do. You're just choosing to pay me because it's more enjoyable to get you to do it. So, so maybe my therapeutic activity unit is $40. I subtract that from the $300 total cost. My patient's gonna pay me 260 cash and they receive a $40, $40 reimbursement for, for Medicare. Like, awesome. Because she was ready to pay $300, she's getting $40 of free money because I, the therapist, understand the Medicare guidelines and what is covered and what is not covered. And, and before you, you say anything, anybody who wants to, go look at the advanced beneficiary notice, the form, the ABN form, right across the top, it says clearly, even... If there are services that you or your healthcare provider believe are necessary or something along those lines, we believe Medicare may not pay for these services. You know, so there's multiple examples published in the guidelines of what's covered, what's not covered. And the reality is if Medicare was to come back and say, yeah, you know what? Therapy should be more fun. We're going to pay to make it more fun. Awesome. They can pay and I'll refund the patient. They're not going to do that. So I have to, it's my responsibility to understand what is covered by Medicare, what is not, what is in the best interest of the patient, what is not, and how do I clearly communicate that to the patient so they can make a decision? Because that patient doesn't have to do it. That patient does not have to say yes to that. They can more than easily go to the hospital, get only the services paid for by Medicare. And if they get to the goal that they want, awesome. Like that's, that's great for them. But if they want what I have to offer, this is the only way I can do it. Yeah. That's a, it's a little, I'm going to call it a double-edged sword, but that's all right. You don't have to call it that, but they really have to understand the services or the people who, so let, let's say I have multiple 
providers, seeing multiple patients. I mean, that means each provider has got to be educated and knowledgeable on what you just said, correct? hundred percent. Like how Okay, can you just not, making I sure. Mean, I mean, that legit, yeah. I, I just wanted to see your take. So yeah, I mean, and then, so instead of worrying about, see, and this is what's interesting. Instead of worrying about going to take another clinical Con Ed course, be nice to bring in someone to walk through this with the team and do, do a Con Ed course, basically, on educating your providers on, well, by the way, I'll, let's go back to the beginning to better motivational interviewing on top of then, right? So how better to have a conversation with them to get to this stuff and then understanding the parameters, I don't want to say limits, the parameters of the one of their payment options. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, because all this would take, as I'm sitting here thinking of the right way to answer these questions, well, let's do an in-clinic education for the whole team around this. And again, and then and then make sure they're educated on how to properly manage an eval and then not worry about everybody scheduling 12 visits out. I mean, I can tell you, you know, being in this for as many years as I've been in it, and, and especially like teaching this element since yeah real quick real quick where do you teach this stuff real quick just sure so so my main course is called zero to paid it's a medicare billing course i teach it over nine one-hour modules i teach it live because i'm i'm always answering questions i'm always available so they're they're nine one-hour sessions that i do live each and every month but what i found was that in the beginning when somebody hears you want me to take a, a billing course? You want me to take a compliance course? You want me to take a documentation course? Every therapist complains about documentation, but they resist taking a good documentation course. And what I found is, because documentation is a huge element in this. Yeah, yeah. When I show therapists, look, this is Medicare. This is Medicare showing us what a progress report is. Have you ever written a progress report this succinctly and this short? Not a single therapist since 2019 has ever written a progress report that emulates what Medicare has published and said, this is an example of a progress report. When I show therapists in the guidelines, Medicare says right here, black and white, the treatment note does not is not there to justify medical necessity or continuing therapy. They're shocked because they've spent a career, every treatment note trying to justify medical necessity. Because, and Medicare just well, says the treatment yeah. note is not where you justify medical necessity. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the the fees and the regulations. It's like once you get into actually understanding. This is what they pay for. This is not what they what they don't pay for. This is what you're allowed to do. Instead of thinking that Medicare or any third-party payer restricts what we can do, it, you realize that it's opening the door for what you can do. It's allowing you to do so much more than you were able to do before. And, and I think loosely using the term burnout, let's use the term frustration. The things that frustrate therapists the most documentation, compliance, regulation. It's the stuff they spend the least amount of time trying to learn and understand. Yeah. And so yeah, it point. really is a freeing experience. Yeah. Back, back to, back, I, I, I want to double that back to what I said and, and right. And for everybody listening to this, I'm learning and hearing a lot of this for the very first time as you are. 
And my gut is, hmm, they'd have to learn this. And it's not, oh, fuck, nobody wants to do this. It's, okay, how do we facilitate this? Because this is far more valuable. So what I told the third years two weeks ago, I go, for the love of God, please do not take a clinical treatment course straight out of school. And I hadn't heard your stuff, but I just said, take a communication course, take a motivational interview yeah. course first. I was like, and then I, now I'm going to tell everybody. And then second, right. It's, it's learn, you know, th this is the other thing. And we get so confused in healthcare. Oh, you can't do this from the outside. Oh, you can't do this from the inside. I've always said, learn the rules first and then figure how to, and now I say, I always say, learn how to break them, but when you learn the rules, you learn how to play within the game. You learn the game within the game, right? And right. then you find out, wait a minute, I heard this about Medicare. Not true. Hey, I heard this. Not true. Hey, I heard this about documentation. Not true. Now we're learning the rules. And you find out the playing field and your options are way bigger than you ever thought they were. So now you have options. And again, I love it. You keep saying this. I'm, I say it a little differently, but we're not limited. We're just told these are. These are the rules now for this part of the game. Right. Right. And it doesn't mean there's, and they're not black and white. That, that's the other beautiful part. I love the way you started this. That was the other thing. I used to love our practice act in California when I was still practicing. It was gray as hell. And everybody would always want to tell you how black and white it was. I'd go, cool, show me. Right. And they'd show me and I'd go, well, I'm willing on the black and white alone to make this statement and do this until someone tells me otherwise. And I never, ever, ever got challenged on it. And knowing what the Practice Act said versus, right, maybe some insurance things said, you know. And so, yeah, knowing that gray, there's so much value in the gray and everybody, our need for certainty. So what about the other insurers? Do you basically take the same approach with all of them? I do. I do. I really, I mean, I, th I think it's something we have to work to understand, but once you understand it, you have the freedom to work within it. So, you know, I'm not going to say the name of the insurance company, but I guarantee everyone listening will know as soon as I say it, but there are insurance companies that pay a flat day rate. So 50, $55, no matter yeah. what you do. Yeah, right. And I will see a, a list of, uh, you know, somebody posts their frustration about this insurance company only paying 50 or $55. And then 500 comments after it saying how ridiculous and horrible and all this stuff is. And I, I, I'm the voice that comes in and says, you realize the insurance company is paying you a day rate. They're saying you could do one unit, you could do four units. I don't care what you do. I'm going to pay you this per day. And we, the therapists think, well, I have to do four units or six units or eight units. I have to do all of these things. And I'm like, really, when you look at a day rate of 50 or $55 in some states, it's higher. And I'm like, okay, I've got this patient. Can I create a solution that is going to achieve this patient's objective, their goals, what they want to achieve? And can I do it for, you know, a day rate of $50? And my favorite example is always, well, if I have a patient who needs manual therapy, $50 for 10 minutes of manual therapy is a pretty darn good rate. Correct. And so, you know, can I give them the rest of the stuff within the access membership and other things? 
right. back to again, what is the consumer buying? The consumer in this case is the insurance company. They're saying, I'm going to pay yeah, you 50 thank bucks. You. Can you make this person, you know, re reach their goals? Yes. Thousand percent. Yes. And I'm going to do it in a compliant manner. That's still profitable for me and achieves the goal for the patient. I agree with everything you just said. The other part of that, um, and you know, my bias, man, you get the rest of the team dialed in on this again, like the front desk, because I've got some front desk people talking around some of these things currently at some clinics, right. That are contracted. I call it contracted. So in network um, yeah. with the insurers so that they're already setting the stage for this conversation for when those people arrive and meet their provider. Yeah. You know, just managing and setting expectations again that, yeah, we're going to do what's best for you. You know, That's a it, huge right? element in your whole design of crafting the patient care experience, like focusing on the front desk, focusing on that first point of contact, contact. I mean, th that's something that just intuitively we've always understood. And so from 2001, when I first started this business, we always said, look, what's the face of the company? What's the first voice that you hear? What are the questions that this person is asking? That, that's the most vital aspect of everything. If I want better patient outcomes, I better work on my front desk and my receptionist who's going to answer the phone because they're going to lay the groundwork for the therapist's success or failure 12 sessions down the line. And, and again, yeah, because like, yeah, with your so model, I mean, yeah, with your model, you just, I mean, I'd call it maybe not fully loaded Russian roulette, but a little bit of Russian roulette, possibly if people weren't prepared at least an expectation set around what's going to be done when you arrive on Wednesday at 1030. And, and that's just from there, just from hearing you in the conversation, it's like, no, they've had this dialed in, right? Yeah. It, it goes back to like, we want our patients to understand their goals and objectives, right? Like what can I help you with to achieve your goals? Awesome. If you don't know, how am I supposed to do it? It's the same for us as business owners. Like, my number one guiding light, the question I ask myself before every business decision is, is this moving me toward my goal? My goal is I want to be home until my kids go to school. And I want to be back home when my kids get out of school. I want to be able to coach them. I want to be there on the weekends. I want to be part of their life growing up. Nothing else is a priority for me beyond that. And so if I have an opportunity for a new line of business that takes me away from that, I'm not going to do it, right? Because I've got one goal and it's time freedom. If we want to put it in those words, that is my ultimate goal. I don't need more money. I just want time freedom. So looking at the individual who's here listening, connecting with you, consuming your content, they have to understand like, what is their goal? Do they want to build to $10 million in revenue and then sell to private equity? Do they want a cash rich platform that just allows them to treat a handful of patients the way they want to treat patients and earn enough money that they don't feel pressured, you know, to make bad decisions? Like they can do anything they want. The therapist listening to you can do anything they want, but they have to know what they want in order to achieve that and build the structure that gets them to that outcome. Thank you, Tony. Do me a favor. Uh, so where is your zero to build? Where do they find that? 
Yeah. So zero to paid Medicare bill. Zero to paid. Build. I can't believe I said that. That's all right. Gee, many If you go into Google and just Google zero to paid, it will take you to my program. Um, But you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm trying to build my LinkedIn profile. I've never done it before a couple months ago. Or you can find me on Facebook, Anthony Maritato. Jerry, you, everybody, you can always call me Tony. Most people call me Tony, but technically Anthony is the professional name. Awesome. I appreciate all this. I hope and I believe people will be reaching out to you. I, I, I just want to kind of wrap it all up. And, you know, he's Tony's got so much to offer. I want you to sit back and reflect on this whole conversation. And maybe not that this is the model you want to create, but what Tony said at the end, you got to reflect back and go, look, we're not, we've put our own blinders on, we put our own restrictors on, and we got to understand that there's far more possibility if we ask better questions, let's double back and going, okay, how do I do this? Well, here's a resource for you, right? Because again, if you can do it with Medicare, I'm going to argue you can do it downstream fairly simply, never easy, but simpler. So I thank you again for sharing all this and um, for coming on. And I think this is really important moving forward in in this part of our lives and everybody's part of where healthcare is in 2023. Because I think this model and this thinking that you've been doing has to be, has to be become a norm. So I appreciate it. I just, we're all about empowerment, right? We, we want to empower our patients. We want to build resilience in our patients. We want them to be able to handle adversity. And I, I think the best way for us to do that, not just for our patients, but for ourselves, for our profession, is to really take control of that. And so last thing I wanted to share with the audience is I'm not saying don't get involved politically. I'm not saying don't write the letters and sign the petitions, but when I look at what can I do individually that has the greatest impact, it's really empowering myself and my business to achieve the goal and the outcome that I want for all of us collectively within the profession. And you can do that by finding people like you, Jerry and Paul and all the others that are out there that have been at it you know, longer than most and are gracious enough to share your experiences. So thank you, Jerry, for having me on. Thank you. And say, uh, give your dog a pat for me. (laughs) I will. All right. Thank you, Tony. Bye.